37th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another exciting episode of Pixelated Paranormal. And on this episode, we've got mummies and we've got magic trees. But before we get into that, Preston, buddy, how are you? I mean, doing pretty good right now. I got a pink vapor stew sour ale that's like 6% and um, sipping on that. So okay. I, I can't complain. And when we get off of this recording... I got one of those microwavable hot and spicy chicken sandwiches. It's got like the pickle crust on it. Like, oh, fuck me, dude. It's the best. So we're on an episode. We're going to be talking about mummies. You are literally mummifying your insides with preservatives and pickling yourself with alcohol. Yep. There we go. I like it. I like it. I will raise my glass and say cheers to you, sir, with a cup of hot tea. Very nice. Yeah, I feel like dog shit all of a sudden. Um, sinuses are like super dry and draining, and my nose is running like crazy. But uh, I took a test. It's it's not COVID so far. So whatever it is, I may be extra nasally on this episode because my uvula is so swollen, it's hitting the back of my tongue. Gross. Yeah. Kids, if you don't know what that is, Google uvula. Make sure you spell it right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, we're on another episode, Sans Steven, unfortunately, so we're not going to talk about cremation like I wanted to. I've been doing a, a very interesting dive into the history of cremation, but seeing as though Steven works in the industry, he'll have some insight that I want to dive into as well, so we're going to hold off on that. But doing just research on death in general, you come across so many interesting articles and you know, just tangents and side streets and everything else that we've got a lot of stories. We're not really sure where to put them. And if yeah. you couldn't tell last episode, we kind of threw it together and it was kind of hodgepodge, but um, we're going to kind of continue on with that topic of just interesting burial practices with two um, longer stories. We're just going to focus on two stories tonight. And Preston, you kind of took the wheel here, buddy, and did the brunt of the work, which I always appreciate. So um, <laughs> I'll just I'll I'll jump out of the driver's seat and see if we can do one of those where you climb over my lap as I slide underneath you and uh, keep on driving. Is that the gear shift, or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so. Like Sean said last episode, we talked about weird or unusual burial practices, and in past episodes like busting a tut we talked about mummies and boy <laughs> do we love our mummies around here we've covered yeah. salt mummies beef jerky mummies black mummies bog bodies salt mummies the old classic egyptian brown and you know that's that's not like a racial slur that's mummies being dust up you know being ground up into dust to make brown pigment paints which uh. i'm really disappointed that they don't make that anymore because i would like um, you know, the, I, I like brown. That's basically the only color I can see. And so I'm sad that I don't get to experience Egyptian brown. So Yeah. Like you said, dude, we've talked about mummies so many times. Um, in the last, oh, 
gosh, probably the last 50 episodes, maybe last 70 episodes, I guess that's episode 156, Are You My Mummy and Other Sideshow Stories. But we talked about uh, King Tut. We talked about that the tomb that was recently found where they found the mummies floating in the brown water and it ended up being mm-hmm. just poopy water. We talked about Elmer McCurdy, the guy who's <laughs> basically his mummy was sold sideshow to sideshow and ended up hanging up in the fun house, which inspired uh, the Skeletor action figure. We talked about the two-headed, dicephalic parapagus twins, Brittany and Abby Hansel. Mm-hmm. And then episode 202 um, was more mummies. <laughs> yeah. And that's where we talked about, you know, creative things you can do with mummies. So it's no secret we love mummies. Mummies, mummies, and even more mummies, goddammit. <laughs> so tonight, dear listeners, like Sean said, I'm going to take the wheel, and we are going to deep dive not only a weird burial practice that Sean may have overlooked, but I swope in there and, you know, like, here you go, buddy, you should cover this. Yeah. But what's known as the wet mummies. And no, they're not turned on. They are just really, and I mean really, very moist. (laughs) But we're not going to stick around in Egypt for this stories. No, we're going to go a little bit further east, and we're going to start this journey with the life and death of none other than Mrs. Zen Zui. Zen Zui lived an extravagant lifestyle for her time. Think of the real housewives of China. She enjoyed having her own musicians for entertainment, whom she would have uh, play for parties as well as her own personal amusement. She may have enjoyed playing music as well, particularly the Quinn. That's that uh, Chinese seven-string guitar folk-looking thingy, which was traditionally associated with refinement and intellect. As a noble, Zen Zui also had access to a variety of imported foods, including various types of meat, like dog and other exotic animals, which were reserved for the royal family members of the ruling class. Most of her clothing was made of silk and other valuable textiles, and she owned a variety of cosmetics. Now, like us all, as she aged, Zen Zui suffered from a number of ailments that would eventually lead to her death along with a number of internal parasites because she liked that shit raw. You could say Ooh. that uh, she was raw dogging it. <laughs> she ate dog. You know what I'm Ew. just saying? Speaking <laughs> of, I had some uh, raw spicy tuna last night. How was it? That was delicious, yeah. So I hope far, you don't have parasites. I, yeah, so far no pinworms. Doing fine. Good, good, good. good. She also had a uh, coronary thrombosis, which is blood clots, and arteriosoriasis, which is thickening, hardening, and loss of elasticity of the walls of the arteries. Most likely, arteriosclerosis. Linked... Yeah, whatever you said. <laughs> I'm not. Look, I have a track record of pronouncing things wrong, so don't expect me to start doing it right. Yeah, we don't want you to try to beat your high score. (laughs) That's right. Anyways, all that shit was likely linked to an excessive weight gain due to uh, a sedentary lifestyle, a.k.a. she drank, partied, and ate too many fucking Big Macs. 
or microwavable spicy chicken sandwiches? Yep, that too. <laughs> a few spinal discs probably didn't help her and caused immense pain, which contributed to deceased and physical activity. She also suffered from gallstones, one of which was lodged in her bile duct and further deteriorated her condition. Huh. A total of 138 melon seeds were found in her stomach, intestines, and esophagus. It is inferred that she died in the summer when the fruits and melons had ripened. The presence of melon seeds in her stomach also indicates that she had died within two to three hours after eating the fruit. She kicked the old ship bucket around 50 years of age in 168 BC. She was buried in an immense tomb in Magandawe, Chingsha, which, uh, with more than 1,000 items ranging from drink and food vessels to silk clothing and tapestries to figurines of musicians and mourners. In 1968, workers digging an air raid shelter for a hospital near Chingsha unearthed the tomb of Zenzui, as well as the tomb of her husband and a young man who was most commonly thought to be her son, but could have been the pool boy. We're not Yeah, joking. you know. Yeah. With the assistance of over 1,500 local high school students, that's slave labor, Archaeologists <laughs> began a large excavation of the site beginning in January 1972. Her tomb contains a stunning amount of information in the form of books and tablets on health, well-being, and longevity. On tablets inscribed with Chinese characters are recipes for various traditional Chinese medicine that treat headache, uh, paralysis, asthma, sexual, and other health problems. Zenzui's body was found within four rectangular uh, pine constructs that sat inside one another, which were buried beneath layers of charcoal and white clay. The corpse was wrapped in 20 layers of clothing and bound with silk ribbons. In the tomb of Zenzui, four coffins of decreasing size enclose one another, kind of like uh, those nestled Russian dolls. <laughs> right? Yeah. And the first and outermost coffin is painted black, which is the color of death and the underworld. All painted images sealed inside the coffin were thus designed not for an outside viewer, but for the deceased and concerned the themes of death and rebirth, protection in the afterlife, and immortality. The second coffin was a black background, but is painted with a pattern of stylized clouds with the uh, with protective deities and auspicious animals roaming an empty universe. A tiny figure, a deceased woman, is emerging at the bottom center of, of the head. Only her upper body is shown, for she's about to enter this mysterious world, a.k.a. the afterlife. <laughs> the third coffin exhibits a different color scheme in iconography. It is shining red, the color of immortality, and the decorative motifs include divine animals and a winged immortal flanking three peaked mountains, um, or the three peaked mountain kulun, which is a prime symbol of eternal happiness. Inside this sarcophagus, on top of the fourth and innermost coffin, the ex excavators found a painted silk banner about two meters long. Yellow and black feathers are stuck on the cover board of the coffin. People at the time believed that in order to fly up into the heavens and become immortal, 
one needs to go through a featherization phase, which is growing feathers on one's body. Many texts during and before the time mentioned uh, have a connection between growing feathers and becoming a celestial being. A celestial being is even referred to as a feathered person in some of the ancient Chinese texts. One celestial being on the Ningyang Han stone portraits also has feathers all over the body, so we can further make that connection. So, the feathers stuck to the coffin was a way of expressing the hopes that Zen Zui would grow feathers on her body and enter the heavens and become immortal, where she could have all the Big Macs and raw dog every day. <laughs> so, you're probably wondering why the fuck we are talking about this. Well... Zen Zui's body was remarkably well-preserved in an unknown fluid inside the coffin. Originally reddish in color, it was mildly acidic and was magnesium-based. This liquid oxidized as soon as uh, it was exposed to air, turning it kind of like a muddy brown. So kind of like that poo-poo brown shit water we talked about. <laughs> but not actual poo-poo brown shit water. Correct. It was so acidic, it also left the archaeologists who discovered Lady Di with a rash on their hands for several weeks. <laughs> now, what's interesting, her face, while her face looked swollen and deformed, her skin was still soft to the touch and is still soft to the touch this day. And there are no signs of rigor mortis anywhere. Her arms, her legs, her fingers, you name it. You can bend them, you can twist them, you can move them. There was hair on her head with a wig pinned uh, with a hair clasp to the back of it. There was skin on her face. Her eyelashes and nose hair were still in place. The tympanic member on her left ear was intact. And her finger and toe prints were still distinct. Whoa. Even her internal organs are intact, and there is still blood in her veins. While other mummies tend to crumble at the slightest movement, the mummy of Lady Di is so well kept that doctors are able to perform an autopsy more than 2,100 years after her death. And not only were they able to reconstruct her death, but her life as well. They were even to, able to determine that her blood type was type A, the autopsy of Lady Di is arguably the most complete medical profile ever completed on an ancient individual. But the Lady of Di is not the only case of a wet mummy. Since her discovery, archaeologists have found two other corpses within a few hundred miles of the Mangdui tombs, both in similar state of preservation. Experts have identified that as a magistrate named Sui and Ling Huping, the wife of a powerful Han Dynasty lord, even if the ancient Chinese were privy to a now lost per, uh, preservative fluid, while the application of such a liquid to the exterior of the corpse may explain the excellent surface condition of the body, it does not explain the survival of the internal organs and the tissues found in these three cases. That's what I was going to ask is like, that doesn't make any sense. That's some, some pretty magic brown water that's yeah. able to keep the body from rotting from the inside. That's, that's yeah. neat. So experts believe that while the mysterious fluid may have played a part, Lady Di's remarkable preservation may have been more to do with the conditions of her burial than the strange liquid. 
for the fact that her body was buried in a watertight tomb 40 feet underground and then sealed in nested coffins and insulated in 20 layers of silk and a paste of charcoal and clay may have been enough to, to keep oxygen and decay at bay. Now, in 2013, a 700-year-old mummy was discovered by chance with road workers, and she was also, also in excellent condition. This corpse in eastern China was of a high-ranking woman believed to be from the Ming Dynasty. The ruling power of China between 1368 and 1644, she was stumbled across by a team uh, who was looking to expand a street. Discovered two meters below the road surface, the woman's features from her head to her shoes have retained their original condition and have hardly deteriorated. With the discovery, when the discovery was made by the road workers, Chinese archaeologists from the nearby museum of Taozhu was called in to excavate the area. They were surprised by the remarkably good condition of the woman's skin, hair, eyelashes, and face. And once again, it looked as though she had only recently died. So she was, you know, kind of like Gumby. You could pose her in any position you wanted because rigor mortis hadn't set in. Bop it. The perfect twist it. Preservation. Pull it. Perfect preservation of her skin, eyebrows, and silk clothing has astonished excavators. Her body was immersed in a brown liquid. So it potentially was the same red liquid that might have oxidized. And this led them to believe uh, that this mummifying technology was reserved for only the most important members of society. And um, this stone tomb, I mean, it just been lying around a few feet, you know, beneath the busy road. And they start digging <laughs> and jawing and whatever. And next thing you know, boom. Moist mummy. Man, people are just driving to work every morning on top of this lady. Yeah. Huh. And she was buried with many piece, uh, many pieces of fine jewelry, including a silver hairpin that still held her hair in place, and she had a huge jade ring on her finger. Atop her wooden coffin was a simple silver medallion known as a exorcism coin placed there to protect her body from evil spirits. Holy crap. I tried to Google um, exorcism coin and couldn't find much of anything about the topic. So that's something I want to put a pin in and maybe um, revisit if there's enough meat on those bones to uh, get into it. Oh, yeah. I think we just need to, like, holler at some churches, you know. <laughs> you know, we still got to get a hold of that priest who was involved in the case of that chick cutting off that guy's head here in Kansas. Yeah, we do. Yeah, I need to reach out to that guy. Well, dude, that's crazy. I had heard tell of, you know, other mummification processes back when I was in the fourth grade, but that would have been back in like 95. Yeah. So, um, she was discovered at the end of 68 and, um, she was so well preserved that like at the time the Chinese government was like, dude, we, we you can't touch her. You can't, you can't do anything. And so then these, this doctor, like everybody was afraid to fuck it up. And so the doctor yeah. went in, like cut open her head and did like a full on like medical exam and an autopsy. And that's how we know so much about her life. Like, you know, the moment she died, how she died, what her diet was like, um, you know, she still had the gallstone in her gallbladder and it was inflamed. Like she was perfectly preserved and it looks like she had died 
like two hours prior to the autopsy, not twenty one hundred years in the yeah, past. That's so wild, dude. Um I was lucky enough to have an incredible teacher named Mrs. Frances Barrier for not only third grade but also fourth grade because she jumped from class to class. You know, she teach third grade one year, then fourth grade, then back and forth and back and forth. And at Jefferson Elementary, they would do this thing every year where you would study a country for like the entire year off and on. And the last week of school, we'd have passport day and you would travel from classroom to classroom, each one being a different country. And Mrs. Barrier did Egypt. I believe we got to do Egypt third grade and fourth grade. So like we were so immersed to be in third and fourth grade. Mrs. Barrier taught us just a crazy amount of information about mummification. And I remember she mentioned, she didn't call it wet mummification, but she did tell us there were, there were also other forms of mummification that were done outside of Egypt, but we never delved into it because we were focusing primarily on Egypt itself. But The other mummy that they found down the road, the gentleman, uh-huh. he too was also so, so well-preserved um, to this day, uh, they have to cover up his body with a, uh, white cloth. Otherwise you'd be staring at his Wang D. Ooh, boy. Yeah. Well, again, like you said, thank goodness rigor mortis didn't sit in. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Jesus, does this guy take Viagra? It's been 4,000 years and the damn thing ain't going down. Well, for our second story that you prepared for us, Presto, I'm going to jump in here and talk about the mountain people of Bali. Located on the eastern shore of Lake Batur in Bangli Regency in the central of Bali, Indonesia, is a small Balinese village known as Trunyan. Now, to the common folk, Trunyan Village isn't really that noteworthy, and it seems to almost resemble most other Indonesian villages in the area. Save for one particularly interesting fact, the way they bury their dead, or rather, should I say, the way that they don't. Trunyan Village is home to the Mountain Bali people, known forthright as the Bali Aga. And unlike the lowland Bali people, the Bali Aga practice an ancient ritual which predates the arrival of Hinduism or Buddhism. It goes clear back to at least 10th century AD. The name Trunyan itself refers to an incredibly fragrant tree that grows in the village called Taru, which is believed to be more than a thousand years old itself, and it lends its beautiful fragrance to the Baliaga people to be incorporated in their bizarre burial rituals. Accessible only by traveling via boat across Lake Batur lies the Trunyan Cemetery, where the dead are not cremated or burned on a pyre or even hoisted up on a hill to be torn apart by vultures. Instead, you'll find 11 bamboo cages built in the shape of triangular prisms or pyramids. Inside of these structures, you're going to find the stacked corpses of the Baliaga's deceased lying inside, rotting above the ground. These bamboo structures are built to protect the bodies of the deceased from animal attacks and natural predators who are looking for an easy meal. The unique open-air tradition is called Mepisa. When a member of the village dies, their body is wrapped in a white cloth 
with the head exposed, otherwise the rest of the body completely covered, and placed inside one of these triangular-shaped cages. When the cages are full, because the bodies are continued to be stacked on top of each other, the body on the bottom that has been there the longest is then removed to make room for a new inhabitant being replaced by the new dead body. The remains of the long-since-deceased are then placed on a pile along with any other corpses that have been evicted by newcomers. They'll lay out in the open until the flesh, the fat, and the muscle has all decomposed. When a corpse is fully decomposed, the skull will then be removed and then placed in a stair-stone-shaped altar, which also is located 500 meters north of Banjar Kuban, in a special place, like said above, has to be reached by another boat. But presto, my old buddy, and all you dear listeners, you might be wondering, what about that smell? With all those dead bodies, it's got to stink to high hell. I mean, it's an island of dead bodies, right? Well, let's get back to that tree, shall we? Standing, towering, more likely, is a tangled, mossy tree that looks like an ancient banyan that dominates the open-air cemetery with not only its physical presence, but also its smell. Locals believe the tree, called Taruminian, or fragrant tree, is believed to have supernatural powers because the fragrance the tree emits somehow manages to completely mask any and all smell of the countless rotting corpses, completely overpowering the smell of dead flesh. But here's one more interesting factoid. In this unique burial rite, bachelors need not apply. Only the body of married couples are allowed to be treated this way. If the deceased was not married, then it's just going to be buried in a different cemetery. These Trunyanese funeral rites date back to the Neolithic Agama Bayu sect, one of six of the most important religious spiritual sects during the pre-Hindu period in Bali. The Agama Bayu worshipped the stars and the winged, and supposedly not every dead villager could be laid down within the cemetery. The corpses must be undamaged, and the person must have died from natural causes. So then you might ask, what might happen to the dead bodies from people who died in accidents? Well, the cemetery has three different categories of graves. First, you have your baby tombs, or the Sima Nuda. These are reserved for unmarried people. You have the sacred tombs, the Sima Naya, for married people who died naturally. And you have the Salapati tombs, Sima Bantas, which are reserved for people who died unnaturally, like in accidents or by suicide. The funeral processions seem quite simple where the villagers' corpses will be taken by a boat, followed by its family and possibly by residents who are bored and just happen to jump on the boat for a simple ride. When a dead body is being carried, also, as should be noted, women are forbidden from going into the cemetery. In the main temple, Purapansiring Jagat, or simply known as the Temple of the Navel of the World, villagers conduct a series of ceremonies which include a dance called the Borong Brutuk, an ancient Borong dance that only exists in the Trunyan, 
which is both a performance as well as a religious ritual. Unlike the usual boring dances, the Borong Bratuk dancers wear simple outfits made from dried banana leaves, which supposedly are only picked from the Pingon village, just to the northwest of Mount Batar. The Borong Bratuk dancers wear masks that evoke a primitive feeling as the large eyes are painted on in white or brown paint. The dances perform without music by a selected group of unmarried men who must first undergo a purification ritual and isolation before the burial performance. During their isolation, to remain pure, they must sleep in temples, avoid sexual contact, and learn prayers of the ceremony from the priest of the temple. The dancers then silently walk around with a whip and whip themselves around the temple. Villagers believe that their dried banana leaves bring blessings and safety, while the whiplashes heal the pain of their fellow villagers. So these guys just basically walk around in banana leaves flogging themselves. Watching all those customs and traditions will be a surreal experience for any viewer. However, if you're interested and you want to go to Trunyan Village and have a walk around the cemetery while enjoying the other sites of the village, you can book a trip and outsiders are allowed to visit. However, because of A, the blasphemy involved in touring these burial rites, and B, everybody's out to get a buck, you literally have to book a tour with a tour guide. Otherwise, you could be taken out to the island by some guy in a boat and either robbed or murdered if you ever even reach the island. Well, I'll be jiggered. <laughs> right? I think that's rad, man, to have a giant tree that smells so good it totally masks the otherwise island of the dead. Um, on the other side of that coin, in Winfield, Kansas, I believe at Cowley College, there is one of the, oh, I forget what it's called, the dead body plants, the giant flower that when it blooms every so many years smells like a giant rotting corpse. Uh, we hate to cut it short, folks, but we got to run because I'm starting to lose my voice a little bit from the sinus crap, and I don't want to sit here and whisper like, you know, a rotting corpse in Bali. So instead, I'd like to ask, if you're listening right now and you haven't already, please follow us on the old Instagram at PXLParanormal. If you're on the old Facebook, check us out, The Pixelated Paranormal Podcast. Presto, we're also on YouTube. Ain't that right? 164 subscribers, so do your part. Get us up to 200. If you haven't already, go over there, like, subscribe, share to all your friends, and let's grow youtube just like everywhere else like you know spotify pandora uh audible like holy shit like we're on audible that's a <laughs> yeah like an amazon and as always if you need a beard if you want a beard let's be honest you know two thousand years they're gonna dig up your body and they're gonna see what you're rocking and they're gonna be like dude that beard looks like shit well you should have gone over to BigDobsBeardBomb.com and used promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your order. Then you could have picked yourself up some scents like Bay Rum, Dundee, Cedar, Fresh Citrus, Tobacco, 
mint and classic. And then not only would you have the best looking beard, but it would, you know, take away from the fact that they didn't have to look at your Wang D. Like they'd just be so amazed with the beard that you're rocking after 2000 years. So do yourself a favor, go over to Dobbs and just, just get it. Get Dobbs. You need Dobbs in your life. And you know, just like the Taru Minion, after 2,000 years when they finally crack open your little uh, tomb, it's going to smell as fresh as the day you put it on your beard. Yeah. And if you're in the Wichita area, please stop by and see our dear friend Leslie and the rest of the gang at CD Trade Post at Pawnee and Seneca. All right. On behalf of Big Steven, I would like to say cheers to the weird shit in the world and to those of us that love to talk about it. And stay spooky and stay on the paranormal highway. The cast at Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.